Well, welcome uh, to Challenge. My name is Eric. We are continuing our series tonight in which we're answering the question, what on earth am I here for? And this critical question that all of us face in our lives, you know, what is our purpose? Why were we created? Why are we here? There's a lot that can draw your attention here at USC. You've probably figured that out. Classes, clubs, activities. If you're not careful, you can get caught up in a bunch of stuff, just a bunch of activity, and not really make progress in the things that matter in life. So we all need to carefully consider our purpose, the answer to this question, what on earth am I here for, in order to make the most of your college years. Four years goes by really quick, and some of you don't have four years anymore. You have less. So how are you going to make the most of that? As we discussed last week, the Bible shows us that we were created for God. That is the main point. We are created for God, and he has a purpose for us. Our purpose is to seek him and glorify him in our lives, and that has implications for everything, every part of our lives, how you go about school, your career, your relationships, finances, everything. God is telling this amazing story throughout human history of redeeming people from sin, and we all get to play a part in that story. That is our purpose. And so what we've been doing in this series so far is that we're looking at three different greats of the Bible. They're going to be up on the screen here. And we're looking at what do these greats reveal about our God-given purpose in life. Last week, we took a look at the great mandate found in Genesis chapter 1, this mandate to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and have dominion over it. And what we saw last week is that we are all made in the image of God. And so a core part of our purpose is that we are to represent God on the earth in how we live. We are to reflect God, and the cultures we're creating through our daily interactions and how we use the gifts and skills God has given us to work to benefit others and bless others. And tonight we're going to take a look at the great commandment found in, we're going to focus on Mark, but it's also in Matthew 22. This is the commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now I think for those of us who are Christian, I think the great commandment to love God seems pretty obvious Right. If someone asked you as a Christian, do you love God? I think pretty quickly you would say, yes, of course I love God. I am a Christian. But I think often we just have a very general idea of what it means to love God. Yeah, of course I love God. But I think if you were to think specifically, well, what does that mean? How would you describe that? That might be a little harder. Is it just feeling a warm feeling when you think about God? A fuzzy feeling in your heart or something like that? Is it doing certain things? You can't send a valentine to God. You can't give him a hug. So what does it actually mean to love God? Loving God is a core part of our purpose. It is part of why on earth we are here. What does that look like practically, and how does that impact you all as USC students? Well, the passage today is going to help us dig deeper into that. We're going to take a look at Mark chapter 12, starting in verse 28. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, Of all the commandments, what is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. So we're picking up the story a little bit in the middle here. It's in the middle of a conversation that Jesus is having with other, you know, these teachers of the law, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, these religious groups at the time. And they're asking him a bunch of questions. They ask him questions about paying taxes and resurrection and things like that. And then a scribe comes up to Jesus 
and, and asks a question, this good-natured question, you know, what is the greatest commandment? And to answer the question, Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 5. Now, if you're not familiar with Deuteronomy, it's a set of sermons given by Moses to the Israelites in the Old Testament, you know, near the end of Moses' life. And in the first five chapters of Deuteronomy, Moses reminds Israel of what God has done for them in their history and who God is. It's a lot of review. What has God done? Who is he? What is he like? And what has happened? And then in chapter 6, verse 5, we see the commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Now, what is interesting here is that as Jesus is quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6, he doesn't go straight to the command. Rather, he also includes verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That's verse 4 of chapter 6 in Deuteronomy. Now, why would Jesus include that part? Well, verse 4 in, in Judaism is called the Shema. It's a very, very important passage to Jewish people. It's called the Shema because the word is translated here. Right? Hear, O Israel, Shema. Now, traditionally, you know, this is recited in the morning and evening every single day with the morning and evening prayers. Uh, Jewish people will cover their, uh, use one of their hands to cover their eyes to promote focus, similar to how we bow our heads and close our eyes when we pray. And what the Shema is, is it's a declaration of faith in God. God is one. Now, what does that mean? Well, God is one in the monotheistic sense. There's only one God. There's no others beside him. But it's also a comment on the character of God. He is unique. There is no one like God. He is holy. He is the only one that is good. What other thing can you think of that created everything? Only God did that, right? What other thing has all knowledge, all wisdom, is all loving? God is unique. He is one. There is nothing else like him. And so why is this here before the great commandment? Really included, as Jesus says, in the commandment itself. Well, think about what the great commandment calls us to do. We are called to love something with everything with our entire being, with everything that we are, our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Only God is worthy of that love. Only God is worthy of that kind of love. The great commandment is this weighty commandment, right? And the fact that God is one, that he is unique, that he is above all other things, it justifies the gravity of the great commandment. Nothing else is deserving of our total devotion. That's why idolatry, putting something else above God, is so wicked. Right? We are giving our entire being to something other than God, who alone deserves our devotion, all of our love. And I think, I think that this shows us the key to loving God and putting this into practice, the key to implementing the great commandment practically in our lives. The key to loving God is knowing God. We have to know God, not knowing about him like trivia or fun facts about God, but actually knowing him personally, being in relationship with him, understanding who he is and having this personal experience so that we know he is unique. There is no one like him. You can see how personal the great commandment is. It's not the Lord, the God. It's not the Lord, a God. It's the Lord, your God. There's a personal relationship here. There's personal understanding. That's why in Deuteronomy, Moses spends the first five chapters doing all this review and reminding the Israelites of all that God has done for them. It's about who is God. We have to remember that before we get to the command, before it even makes sense. Why should we love God? Because of who he is and what he's done for us. All we have to do is think of the gospel. Right? We all have sinned. We talked about this last week. We all fall short and gone against God's commands. And for that, we all deserve 
to die. That's what the Bible says. Yet God in his grace and mercy gave us Jesus. God in human flesh, Jesus lived a perfect life. He never sinned, but he willingly laid down his life for us. He died on the cross. He took the punishment of death that we all deserve. He was the perfect sacrifice to perfectly satisfy the debt that we all owe God for our sin. And he rose again, proving that he was indeed God. And for those who turn from sin to Jesus, we are fully forgiven. If you imagine that and think about that, how could you not love that God? How could you not love the one who gave up everything for you? And so verse 4, um, the Shema here, verse 29, as Jesus is quoting it, now, this is critical for our understanding of the great commandment. The key to loving God is first knowing him. And as we get to know God more and more, loving him makes more and more sense. So now let's look at the commandment itself. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Now, whenever you see a list in the scripture, it's good not to just blow past that, but really think, okay, why are all these words here? What is the nuance there? What do these things mean? So let's start with heart. In the original language, Hebrew, right? Jesus is quoting Deuteronomy here, so that's in Hebrew. The heart had the connotation of the will. So the idea is love the Lord your God with all your will. The implication is there is a singleness of commitment here. The opposite would be a divided heart. I'm equally committed to something else alongside a God. But that's not what this says. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your will. Undivided commitment. God is first and primary. And then we see soul. This word elsewhere in the scripture is translated to life. Um, so the idea is love the Lord your God with your life, with what your existence, your life is all about. God is my life. God is what I'm living for. He is why I'm alive. As we talked about last week in Colossians 1.16, we are made for him. He's our life. Mind, this is the intellect. Right? Love the Lord your God with, with your thinking, how you think. It's be engaging intellectually with the scriptures asking questions, you know, learning about theology, all these different things so we can learn how to think biblically in every single area in our lives. It's seeking to learn more about God, not just for head knowledge so we can look smart, but so that we can understand God better, get to know him better. The key to loving God is knowing him. It's also, I think, controlling your thoughts, what you put into your head, you know, making sure that you're not filling it with things that are not right. And the last one there, strength. And this is maybe the most interesting one in the Hebrew. This word literally translated means very, very much. Love the Lord your God with your very, very much. And what this really means, it's, it's like your, your oomph, like your effort. Right? Not, in a, not in an earning salvation way. Um, you know, salvation is a gift of God. We cannot earn it. But with your effort, this is a priority. You are actively pursuing loving God. You, you are ambitiously seeking to glorify God in your life. Love the Lord your God with all your, your strength, your very, very much. And when you put all this together, the picture is that you love God. The commandment is you love God with everything that you are. The whole fiber of your being, you love God with everything you have. Again, that is a big, big commandment. A big commandment. But God is one. And as we get to know him, we see that no class, no career, no lifestyle, nothing could compete with him. He alone is worthy of that huge commandment, that huge love. And I think then the question is, how do you know if you're actually doing this? Remember, the goal is not to love God generally, have an idea that we're loving God. The idea is to love God specifically, practically in our lives day by day. And so I think to help 
you assess that in your life, if you are loving God specifically with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, there's two questions that you need to ask yourself. Am I, lo- or am I obeying God? That's the first one. And the second one is, am I loving others? So first, am I obeying God? The barometer in our lives that shows if we are loving God practically is obedience to what he says in Scripture, staying within the boundaries that he has created for us in creating the universe and creating all of us and how all of that works. We see a little more on this in John chapter 14. or start in verse 15 here. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Very straightforward, right? Not much to interpret there. Loving God is not based on a warm, fuzzy feeling. If you, it's not, if you love me, you'll think fondly of me. Right? It's based on action. If you love me, you will do what I say. Now, I think obedience is probably not a word you tend to equate with love, coupled with love. It might seem maybe heavy-handed or restrictive, if, if, you, if you think about it. I think sometimes we have this feeling that you know, obeying God is going to end in, in misery, like God is going to rip us off in some way, or take away what we enjoy in life, or things like that. But you have to remember, the key to loving God is knowing God. That's the anchor for all of this. And if you truly know God, you know that God wants us to have an abundant life. He wants to free us from the bondage of sin. He knows everything. He designed everything. So he tells us to obey because he loves us, and he cares for us. He wants what's best for us. It's kind of like your parents when you were a kid telling you not to play in the street. Did your parents say that so that your life would be miserable? To take away all the fun stuff? No, they did that so you wouldn't get hit by a car. That's the reason you're here. (laughs) Supposedly, I guess. Sin is like this 18-wheeler truck just barreling down at us, 100 miles an hour, ready to take us out. Sin wants to devour and destroy. And so God, in his love, sets up boundaries, tells us not to do certain things because he loves us. And like with our parents, we demonstrate our love and our, and our respect and our trust in them by obeying. And it's the same with God. We demonstrate our love for God by trusting in him and obeying him, knowing that he knows best. And what you see, if you really know God and understand what he's like, that obedience leads to joy. It's not misery, it's joy because he's freeing us from the from the bonds of sin, from this wickedness that can take out our lives. If you think about the context of John chapter 14, Jesus is talking to the disciples right after the Last Supper. So it's near the end of his ministry on earth with the 12 disciples. Those disciples got to know Jesus very well over those years. They knew him very well at this point. Right before this, Jesus washes their feet It's all these like famous things we think of in Scripture. He tells them he is the way, the truth, and the life. That's right before this verse. So disciples know who he is, and they're about to see it even more because he's about to die on the cross and then rise again. So they're even about to get a greater picture of that. And so I think for them, they they knew Jesus so well, obedience made a lot of sense to them because they saw how much he cared for them. I think if we really knew God, the same would be true for us. Again, not knowing him in a general way but taking his commandments seriously, applying what the scripture says in our lives, even when we don't like it. We know God. We trust that he knows better than us. And so we willingly respond in love by gratefully and humbly obeying what he says in our lives. That's what love practically looks like when it comes to God. Now, that sounds very easy, theoretically. Just follow God. Just do what he says. But we all know, just from practical experience, that is very difficult. 
as we discussed last week, we all contend with sin in our lives. We all have these desires that pull us away from what God wants us to do. Every single person has that and has to grapple with that. So even if you do know Jesus, you know, we all stumble, we all fall short. Well, the good news for us is that in the next verses, verses 16 through 17, Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. Let's take a look at those. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. This is Jesus promising that when he leaves, he's going to give the disciples the Holy Spirit, and we get the Holy Spirit as well. And God doesn't just leave us to fend for ourselves here. We have the Spirit to help guide us and work in our hearts, help us to obey more closely, which I think is very a gracious act on his part to give us that help, because we need help. And, and what I've seen in my life is this is really a cycle. As you obey God more and more, you see more and more of God's heart. You understand more and more why he commands these different things. And then it just makes more and more sense to obey him again. We see how trustworthy he is. We see why he put these boundaries in place. So our love of him grows and grows. We desire to follow him more and more closely. A little later, five verses later in verse 21, Jesus says this, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest, show myself to him. The more and more we obey, the more and more we see why God says these things in the first place. The more and more we see how much he loves us in the first place. So that's the, that's the first question and you need to answer. Why on earth are you here? You are here to love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, and mind by obeying him, by putting into practice what he says in scripture. And so we all need to ask ourselves, am I obeying God? And if not, there will all, for all of us be areas where we're straying in this. Take a step back, get to know him better, see that he's trustworthy, see that there's a reason why he put these boundaries in place and obedience to him makes perfect sense. Now the second question is, am I loving other people? If we go back to the Great commandment in Mark 12, we see verse 31. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. We see that Jesus is indicating that loving your neighbor as yourself is tightly linked to loving God. They go together. There's, there's a little more on this in 1 John chapter 4. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. I love the, uh, the strong language there. You are a liar. Very to the point. If you're not loving someone, you can see and physically interact with, how could you possibly love God? You're not loving God. And I think this makes a lot of sense when we think about this in human terms, in terms of human relationship. For example, I really love and care for Stephen Weir. He's right there. I can see him. Stephen is one of my closest friends. I've known him for a very long time. We've had many fun experiences together. We've walked through some very difficult things together. So I really love and care for Stephen. Now, Stephen recently had a son, also named Stephen. We will call him Baby Stephen in this example. Now, I don't really know Baby Stephen that well. We don't talk that much. He's a baby. Uh, we haven't really gone through a lot of adversity together. I changed his diaper once. That's the extent of the challenges that baby Stephen and I have faced. But <laughs> despite that, I still really love and care for baby Stephen. 
His picture is even on our fridge. Adult Steven isn't even on our fridge, but baby Steven's <laughs> Adult Steven didn't make the cut after Christmas. Um, <laughs> sorry, Adult Steven. Why do I love and care for baby Steven so much? Well, it's because I really love and care for his dad. <laughs> and you know what? Steven, Steven really loves baby Steven. And when I told Steven that I was going to be talking about baby Steven, he's like, do you want some pictures to show? <laughs> That's the first thing he said. I declined because I didn't want to distract you. But... So it to makes total sense in the context of human relationship. As I love Stephen, it makes total sense for me to love his son and care for his son because I care for Stephen so much. Imagine the opposite. I said all these wonderful things about Stephen, how much I love him, but I'm like, I don't really care about his kid, don't know his name. But Stephen, I really love you. Like, that doesn't even make sense. Right? I don't think Stephen would feel loved if I didn't care for his son and have an interest in his son. And with God, it's the same way. Every single person God has created, every single person God loves, Right? Every single person is made in the image of God, and every single person exists because God wanted them to exist and brought them into existence. So if we love God, it makes total sense for us to love the people that he created and loves as well. A little earlier in 1 John chapter 4, it says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is Love. And it, goes, it all goes back to the why. Knowing God is the anchor for all of this. Right? And if we know God, we know that God loves everyone. So why should I love other people too? Because God loves them. Surely we can too. Surely we can love them too. Now, I do want to point out some things here. You'll remember from Mark 12, the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. Still very important, but it's second. What does that mean? You love God first. God is the priority. This is why elsewhere in scripture you see passages like Luke 14, 26, when Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, he must hate his mother and father. The idea is not that you despise your parents. Elsewhere, the Bible says, honor your parents. The idea is that you love God so much more because he's the priority. It's the greatest commandment, and loving people comes Second, right, it's a hyperbole there. So if you ever find yourself in a situation where someone you love is asking you to do something that goes against God, you choose God every time. No questions asked. That is the greatest commandment. Loving people is second. Even if you care for that person dearly, even if they say they'll never, never speak to you again, right, we love God first. Another thing to note here, too, in 1 John, verse 7, it says, love is from God. Do you know what that means? That means that God defines love. People do not define love. So when we're saying love the other people, it's, it's saying love them as God defined loves, within the boundaries that God has placed for us. And in our society, we don't always have a clear picture of what love really is. Some people say, well, if you love me, you'll support whatever I do, things like that. As long as it doesn't hurt other people, it's okay. But people don't define love. God does. He is love. He loves first. God in no way supports everything that we do. He hates it when we sin, but he still loves us. In fact, one of the greatest things that God has done for us is, is reveal our sin to us in, in Scripture and show us that there's a better way. So be careful here. Be careful. We as Christians are called to love people. There's no question about that. But it's with the understanding that we can only really love people if we're loving God first, if we're operating within those boundaries of obeying him 
first. That's why it's the greatest commandment. And loving people is the second greatest commandment. And I would tell you this. There's a lot of nuance in that for each individual situation. I cannot possibly cover everything up here. So if you're in a relationship in your life where you're wondering, well, what does it practically look like to love that person while loving God first? I would tell you first, ask God for wisdom on that. In James 1.5, God promises to give wisdom to those who genuinely seek it. So I would tell you, take that before God, ask for his help, and also get some advice from someone who's further down the road than you and, and walking with God. They can really help you, point you in the right direction so you can glorify God in those tough situations because sometimes these situations are very tough. But ask yourself the question, am I loving people? Again, not in a general sense. I love everybody. Specifically, are you loving people? I think 1 Corinthians chapter 13 gives us a great picture of what God defines love to be. What does it actually look like lived out in life? Probably seen this at a wedding before. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That is specifically what love looks like in our relationships. That is how God has called us to love other people. And something that I've found very helpful throughout the years is actually going through this passage and making a list making a list of all these different traits and the different people where I'm just not putting this into practice. It's so easy to say, oh, yeah, I love everyone in my life. But when I do that, I see very specifically where, where I'm falling short. Here's, here's an example of some of the things I came up with when I, when I did this this week. Um, it's not a pretty list. It's a humbling list. Um, but you can see specifically there are areas where I'm falling short. And I have something for every single thing in that 1 Corinthians chapter 13 list. I have something for every single thing. You know, there's no one in this room. I've, I'm hitting the names for, for their sake, privacy's sake. But, you know, I have something for every single person or every single um, item in that list. But I want to love people specifically. I don't want to think I'm just loving them but have all these things in my life where I'm not in these specific situations. So what I encourage you is think through this too. You know, God will probably reveal some things in your life where you need help. It's very easy in theory. I love everybody. It's very easy in theory to love people. But when you go to the specifics, it's hard. It's hard in practice. So again, God has given us the spirit. We have help in this, and we need help. So I encourage you to ask God for that help. Why on earth are you here? You're here to love God with everything that you are, everything that you are. And the way you do that is you ask those questions. Am I obeying and am I loving others as God defines love to be? And when you fall off, when you find yourself struggling with that, you take a step back and you get to know God better. You can see that he is trustworthy. He puts these boundaries in place for a reason. We can obey without any hesitation or any fear because we know that God wants what is best for us and knows what is best for us because he has designed us. Now, what do you think would happen if you really did this? If you really specifically did this and put this into practice, in your life? What do you think could happen in your dorms and in your classes with your parents, your friends, if you seriously started obeying the great commandment, if you seriously started loving God with your whole being and so fulfilling one of your God-given purposes? Well, Jesus, um, at, at the Last Supper, says this to the disciples, or right, right after the Last Supper, after, in John 13, 34 to 35, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. 
So Jesus here tells them a new commandment I give you. And it's not new in the sense that it replaces the great commandment that we just talked about. Rather, it it accentuates the great commandment. It puts further definition around it. We are called to love as Jesus loved us. That is the commandment. That is the boundary. We are to love like Jesus did. How did Jesus love us? He gave himself up for us. He died for us on the cross. He loved us self-sacrificially. That's how much he loves you. And so we are called to do the same. We are also called to self-sacrificially love and so reflect him in our lives. You will remember from last week, we're meant to be image bearers of God. We're meant to represent him on the earth. And so a core part of our purpose is to reflect God's greatness and character by loving like he loved. And right, you can see the result here. All will know that you are my disciples. Right? The idea is that we fill the whole earth with people who are glorifying God. And everyone gets to see what Jesus is like. Jesus is glorified when we fulfill the great commandment in our lives by loving him first and loving people. Second, that's why I'm here today talking to you. Because 13 years ago, people in Christian Challenge loved me and took the great commandment. Seriously, they love God with all their heart, soul, and mind, and strength. And as an outpouring of that, they self-sacrificially loved me. They shared with me. They served me, told me about Jesus, befriended me. And I remember seeing so clearly just how different they were, how clearly I could see the love that they had for God. They weren't doing it perfectly. They were doing the best they could. But I saw that they were truly followers of Jesus, just as this verse said, just as Jesus promises. And I also saw that I was not what I wanted to be. And so the work of the Holy Spirit over that semester, I became a Christian later that that semester. And I think tonight that God can use all of you to do the same in other people's lives this semester. So what I would tell you is take the great commandment seriously. Put it into practice. Why on earth are you here? You're here at USC to love God with everything that you are. Everything that you are. And when you do that and then pour that love onto others as well, people take notice. People say, I did. And God is glorified, and that is our purpose. Let me pray for us. God, thank you that you love us first. Thank you that even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Thank you, God, that we have the perfect example of love in in Jesus himself. I do ask that you would help us by your spirit to put this into practice, that we would love you first. God, that you would show us more and more what obedience looks like in our specific situations. We all have different situations, but you know them all very, very well. So I pray for help there. And I pray for help just in loving the people around us. God, there there are so many people that you've put in our lives that we could reflect you to by how we love. So God, I pray that you just give us a very, very clear picture tonight and in the coming days of who you are. You are one. There is no one like you. There is no one like you, and only you deserve our full devotion. So I pray, God, that we would do that and that we would go out and love others, that you may be glorified. So thank you so much for that opportunity. Thank you so much for your love. In your name.